Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Shay Marville. I am an entrepreneur, a business and meditation coach, and a mom. And like you, I'm going through the wildness of this once in a century pandemic that has changed everything. I want this space to be a place where we have conversations about the good things, the hard things, the sad things, and the sorrow, the triumphs, and the resilience. May this moment in our collective history be a catalyst for compassion, inclusion, better thinking, adaptation, and well-being. My friends, let's talk. Today, I have the delight to introduce you to Sabrina Nanji. She's a journalist here in Ontario, Canada. She covers Ontario politics from Queen's Park, the Press Gallery. And she was formerly a journalist and reporter at the Toronto Star, covering politics, grassroots democracy, and participation. Sabrina, welcome. Hi, Shay. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. It's it's taken us some time to find a way to connect. It's such an incredibly busy time. You're so busy. How's it going? Um, yeah, it's been really, really busy. I mean, it's sort of the golden age, this pandemic for um, pol- political writing, which is what I've been doing at Queen's Park. Um but I'm finally on vacation this week. I'm so happy to be here talking to you. Uh, it's been like a complete 180. Like I, I've been really uh, fortunate during during this whole situation. Um, but I'm really glad to kind of have this chance to recalibrate. What's it been like, just being on the front lines of, you know, asking questions of the premier, you know, every single day, getting these updates for COVID. I mean, this is something you could never even have dreamt. Yeah. I mean, uh, you could have never, if you told me this last year, I mean, I, I would not have believed you, but, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been really, uh, it's been a, a lot of things, I guess, you know, it's been frustrating trying to get answers. Uh, you know, we're all dealing with this personally as well. So to mm. kind of, uh, you know, approach this from a professional standpoint, uh, even, you know, having conversations about uh, the holidays with my parents, um, I'm finding myself sort of talking to them like I would be talking to them from from like a, a work professional standpoint, like here are the rules, here's what we can do, that type of thing. <laughs> so um, yeah, like I said, like I've been a bit frazzled and, and all over the place, but you know, it's uh, it's part of the job. And I'm really, I guess, I have this sort of sense of duty now because it's more important than ever to sort of inform the inform the public, you know, tell people what's going on um, and help them make decisions as well uh, while, while everyone's grappling with this. So it's not always easy to get answers from the government, but, you know, we're, we're there trying. So I do feel um, like I, like I'm hoping that I, I'm rising to the occasion and I, I do, um, I, I look forward to that. Oh yes. I mean, th- you must feel like, you're going through a gauntlet right now um, as a journalist, like just so many things that are changing on a day-to-day basis, right? There are so many angles to cover um, about this pandemic. You know, there's so many stories that are still untold. Everyone is sort of caught up in the, in the news of the day, you know, what are the case counts, that type of thing. 
there's starting to uh, emerge more stories that are, uh, you know, maybe longer form looking into the longer effects of, of what this is having, you know, not even just from a health point, mm. there's everything from, you know, evictions happening right now. Uh, the landlord and tenant board is just kind of exploding. There's uh, you know, from the health standpoint, there's these COVID long haulers. Um, there's also, you know, businesses that there's what their struggles are with. There's families who are having to grieve in, in this, you know, bizarre time. Mm. There's so many stories out there. So uh, you know, it is, it is also a bit overwhelming because I do hope that for, like as, as media, I think I speak for, you know, every reporter that you want to get to it. You want to do your job. You want to inform the public and hope. And, and that's sort of, you know, uh, what it means in, in your place in history, right? Like your job mm-hmm. essentially is to sort of record what's happening. Um, so it's, uh, it feels like a lot on your shoulders, but yeah, you know, I, I guess there's, there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered. What's the, what, what are you referring to with the COVID long haul? Are, are those people who have had COVID and are still suffering? Yeah, um, that's, that's one, um, I guess, aspect I've been, I've been really interested in because, you know, there are folks who aren't contagious anymore. They, they might've had COVID and they, they are testing negative, you know, they should not be ill anymore, but they're not feeling themselves, they're still Mm. having these weird symptoms. And, you know, we don't even know what, uh, you know, what the effect might be down the line five years from now, that type of thing. So there's, there's a lot of unknowns out there. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very overwhelming to sort of chip away at it. How do do you keep your spirits up and, and your mind clear uh, to, to get up every day and, and tell the story? Um, I think there's, there's a lot about balance, but like I said, you just sort of have this sense of duty and I guess, uh, you know, I've, I am just now on vacation and it's just like a complete 180. I feel like I'm in a completely different mode right now, but yeah, you're sort of just like running and on a, on adrenaline or trying to chase a story or an angle. There's always something every day. It's sort of been nonstop. Um, and I guess for me, it's sort of all about balance. Like I do need I've always sort of been a homebody. So, you know, mm. all of this staying at home stuff comes comes naturally to me. You know, sometimes I just need to put on some loud music and uh, I know it's a bit cliche, but I do like to beg for therapy. There's something um, <laughs> where I feel in control where, you know, yes. I'm measuring things out. I can, I, I know what the outcome is. It's, uh, it's very therapeutic and methodical in that sense. So I do think that, uh, uh, you do need those moments where you need to recharge and and all of that, but also there is some some satisfaction in uh, you know getting action. And uh, for instance, um, uh, the other day we had we had heard about you know the first vaccines being administered, and the first folks to get it were these uh, personal support workers in long term care, and these people have really been on the front lines of yes. of everything, and and uh, so it turned out that, you know, us reporters, it was making a lot of buzz. Obviously this is a big, this is a big moment. Um, and all of us reporters were talking about it on social media. Uh, and I ended up getting a tip where, you know, a personal support worker told me that this, this company, this long-term care home where 
where these PS first PSWs to get the shot were working hadn't been given their, you know, $3 an hour bonus that was promised. Uh-huh. They still didn't have it yet. And it's like, well, you know, here's the other side to the story. We're all praising these personal support workers as heroes. Yes. Um, everyone, it was pretty an emotional moment, I must say to, to and I, I was proud that the PSWs, I think a lot of people were, were the first people, but it's like, here we are saying one thing about calling them heroes and here's the other about them them still not getting paid. So yes, yes. we asked the company, the employer, you know, what what's the holdup? Why haven't they gotten their bonus yet? You know, it's still a temporary bonus. Um, a lot of people say it doesn't go far enough, but, you know, uh, they should be getting what, what little they can. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think probably all the buzz them getting a lot of questions about it. The employer just said very quickly, you know, it's coming, it's going to be there in time for the holidays. Uh, We appreciate all of their work. There you go. And it felt good to tell that personal support worker, like, hey, you know, the company says it's coming, you should have it very soon. Please let me know if it doesn't happen. Um, and, And I guess that's sort of, you know, those small silver linings to all of this craziness that you can that you can tell someone that, or, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, shine a light on something that needs to be fixed. Is that um, a huge part of the mechanism that allows you to work where you're getting tips from people about different things that you wouldn't hear about otherwise? Is that a, like kind of a part of what you, what you experience day to day? Oh, to- totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's not just us doing, uh, you know, the digging that's, that's part of it, but it also, we also need people to come forward and tell us their stories. And, Mm. um, you know, sometimes it's, I wouldn't even go as far as to say it's blowing the whistle or anything like that, but, you know, even just people telling us these, these stories are out there. I, I know that some of my colleagues got, uh, into some trouble. They got some flack for, you know, all this coverage that the Adamson barbecue place in Toronto, um, you know, there's, there was a bit of a protest. They're pushing back against these lockdowns and they got a ton of coverage. And a lot of people are really upset. Like, why are you guys covering this, this story, giving this person so much um, airtime when, you know, there are folks who are being evicted from their Mm -hmm. homes in, uh, you know, very bizarre means. Um, So I think that uh, it's, it's a struggle and it's going to be a learning process, but also, you know, the, the public is there, to tell us these things and to call us out. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, we do need them to, uh, like I said, like covering the news of the day, COVID is moving, you know, at an unheard of clip. So I think it's, it's a partnership. Like, you know, we are just citizens too, journalists. And really, I think it's a public, it's a, it's a public, you know, um, it's a public service. So I do think we need the public's help. Do you, are you do you miss being on the beat, like being on the ground and, you know, um, being at the press conference where you get to ask the premier or the politicians, you know, questions directly? Now, now I think it's a much more structured way where you, you know, you kind of get into a queue, isn't it? Yeah, that's been the struggle. Um, and the premier's office here in Ontario, at least they have, they do have control, you know, I think some days they exercise that control more than others, but mm. you know, they do have, um, they do have oversight over that. So you tend to hear uh, questions a lot from news talk, for instance, which we know that a lot of the, the premier's base listens to, to the rate, to that radio station. Mm. Um 
And the one thing I really do miss, you know, I, I do get a question, a question every now and then I, sh I shouldn't complain about that. You know, there's only, they only put them up for a limited amount of time. And, you know, before this pandemic, we had the premier calling us the, the real, the real opposition <laughs> and he wouldn't talk to us for months. So I don't want to knock, you know, what's going on. Right. Uh, you know, I, they've, they've died down a bit, but uh, I, I can't complain about it. I will say that one thing I do miss is sort of the organic, um, the organic vibe that you were describing, you know, being on the ground mm. on the rare occasion that we could talk to the premier, you know, face to face or him standing a, a foot away from a, a, on a microphone. Um, you miss the back and forth. Like I'll ask a question. Um, he'll give a response. Maybe, you know, my, my colleagues will just jump in and follow up. There's this back and forth. And eventually, you know, that's how you pull the truth out that's really, you know, you sort of got this very structured uh, one question, you know, the, the minister, the person at the podium, they give this very long spiel. It's usually talking points. And then you sort of lose that momentum and right. you don't really want to waste your follow-up asking the same question. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that's, that's missed. I'm not sure if the old school scrum, I don't know if you'll see a minister, you know, with a a dozen microphones shoved in their face in a big crowd. I'm not sure if those will ever come back, mm -hmm. but um, I think, you know, they have started to bring back a couple of in-person uh, scrums as we call them with ministers after question period in the media studio, you know, they've, they've slowly been coming back, but uh, we're all still trying to find our groove, I think. Right. And, and we also, we're going into another lockdown, right. In Ontario. So we, Things might look very different in a month. I wonder, though, how has I, I, I? Maybe you haven't had enough time, but I wonder about how the last ten months have changed you or impacted you, either you know per personally or professionally. I, I mean, I definitely feel like I'm I'm growing and I'm changing. I can I can feel it and. I think you're right. You know, I'm still sort of processing it because you're sort of moving at this speed. I think we all are, you know, even my day-to-day -day job is, you know, very fast paced, but I think, uh, you know, even the updates and the news, I think everyone's sort of feeling this um, sort of like we're on this hamster wheel. Right. <laughs> so um, I'm still processing it, but, you know, I do feel like I'm sort of uh, leveling up if I can say like, I'm, sort of feeling more comfortable in myself and more confident, you know, personally and professionally. And I think that that's, um, that's been, that's been something that I want to nurture. Like I said, you know, we have to look for the silver linings with this, yes. with this whole pandemic situation. And I do think that, um, especially at the beginning of it, I was like, Oh, the universe is trying to give us a sign <laughs> or, or something, you know, staying at home and, and that type of thing. It was, a uh, I was trying to see it as, you know, some some type of way to, you know, progress uh, mm -hmm. collectively. Hopefully, I don't know. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, it's not. It's it's a very interesting time if you can be, if you can step back. In what I mean by that is, I mean it's more than an interesting time, obviously, but it's interesting to see that at one point we thought, you know, maybe this is going to be an opportunity to become better, to become something else. And now we are also seeing there's better, but then there's the emergence of all this conflict and, you know, uh, people who 
wear a mask, don't wear a mask, debate whether the mask should be worn, open their stores, don't open their I mean, there's a lot of conflict. As a journalist, like, how do you, how do you report on that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's more than just, you know, telling each side of the story. You know what I mean? You kind of have to be a bit um, analytical or even objective and tell people what they need to know, you know, the context around things. For instance, you know, that like anti-masking movements. Um, I do think, you know, that that there are people out there that, uh, you know, deserve to have their side of things told, uh, even, you know, businesses, that type of thing. But I think uh, you need to kind of explain all all the, the caveats. Like, so for instance, um, with businesses, right? The the data that's out there doesn't really, you know, on the surface doesn't really suggest that uh, all these all these infections are happening in in retails in retail shops. And so we've seen the the business advocates sort of jump on that and mm. say, you know, where's the proof we shouldn't be shut down? And when we press the uh, chief medical officers of health on this issue, you know, because we also want to see the data. The data is a, I mean, journalists love data, right? Um, yes. And when we press the doctors, they say, you know, there's a lot of caveats to this. Um, the data that's out there only captures what we know. And there are, you know, we don't know about more, way more than half of these cases, um, as high as 70% at some point in Toronto. So mm. it's, it's only mm. a small fraction of these. Um, also, it's, it's more than just the data that the government's basing these decisions on, you know, from a public health standpoint, it's being in enclosed spaces for gyms. They use the term forced exhalation. So if you're in a gym, you're breathing heavily, you're breathing hard, um, that type of thing. So it's, it's also like the setting too, that that's playing a part in this. So I think um, there is a lot of conflict and people are digging in their heels. And I do think that people don't really, uh, know how to grapple with, you know, all these, all these rules and everything. And, Mm. um, I think, you know, the government does have some onus here by, by not being as clear as they could have from the beginning, they've changed a lot of the rules. So I think we're seeing a lot of pushback from people even more now. Um, but you know, it, it is our job to explain, here's what's up, here's the lay of the land and, and hopefully people can make their their judgments and opinions based on that. But how do you think people can judge whether they are hearing and listening to the right amount of information from, you know, multiple sources that are, you know, sources that they can truly listen to? Like, cause there's so many different sources now, and you have all these people who are like, oh, I only listen to this group. I never listen to that group, you know? Yeah, people are definitely in their own echo chambers. And uh, I think that that is, that's that's always going to be how it is, you know? Um, that is sort of how social media has created, you know, the landscape. And I think the onus is partially on us as reporters to to inform people in, in the, you know, to even opinion columnists, that type of thing, they, they need to lay out all the facts as well. I think people are still going to go to the sources that they want to go to. They'll, um, you know, read 
they'll read between the lines for things that they'll always do. I think that people are getting better at it though. There's more, there's more uh, knowledge out there, or at least awareness that these, these little, you know, bubbles do exist. And I think people are more willing to try and seek out different sources now, especially you know, we're hearing about all these disinformation campaigns mm. uh, impacting, you know, U.S. elections, all of that. And I think that at least here in Canada, people are uh, more open to reading, reading more about uh, reading more sources and mm. and then forming their opinions based on that. So I'm I'm optimistic. But yeah, you're you're not wrong that people sort of just end up reading what's going to uh, back up what they already believe. Right. So, so as a journalist, you know, first of all, are you doing the kind of journalism you always wanted to do? Um, yes and no. <laughs> uh, I mean, I will say that I love being in politics. I love being at Queen's Park. Um, I do love sort. I'm at so I'm at Queen's Park today right now, which is a subscription based newsletter. A lot of people call us inside baseball, but I love that stuff. It's sort of combines my love of gossip and public policy. So I, um, I have a lot of fun and I'm really lucky to, you know, be able to support myself to doing something I really like doing. But um, there is something that I think most journalists, this is why we get into the beat, um, is because we want to make a difference. And uh, I do think that I'm trying to build up the platform that I have now. Um, but also because I'm sort of reporting in the bubble with, with politics and, and at Queens park, um, I'm, I'm a little less in the grassroots, uh, which is, I guess my ultimate, my ultimate dream. Um, I have started writing more about, you know, political nomination contests. Um, and that's really been something that uh, I've, I've really enjoyed writing about because it's all about access. And I really think, you know, political parties, especially provincially and federally, these are like the gateway to democracy. This is really your ticket. And, you know, you get, uh, you know, not like independents aren't ever successful, but, you know, you get way more resources, way more support um, and all of that. There's, there's a lot of bonuses that come with running with a political party behind you. So I think, writing about nomination contests. A lot of people don't, um, don't think it's some, a lot of mainstream outlets don't really write about it uh, unless we're, you know, getting close to the election or there's something ridiculous happening, but I've, I've started covering it now, even though we're a couple years out from the election and um, it's been emerging with these stories, especially for the liberal party is that they're talking about, you know, recruiting diverse candidates. Um, and that's not really what's happening on the ground. So I think that I'm starting to do the journalism that uh, I, I really want to do. And it's, I don't even really know what that looks like, to be honest, because I sort of had to carve out this, um, this spot. Not like I'm the first person to write about nominations, but definitely um, I do see it as sort of a, an ongoing thing to report on, not just something that uh, tends to be covered, you know, closer to election time. You've been really motivated for a long time to write about uh, nominations. What is it about the nomination process across the different parties that is is so compelling to you? Yeah, so, you know, nominations there, it's really, uh, you know, it happens at the, the local writing level. So this is when potential candidates 
they put their name forward and it's people in, in the riding, you know, the grassroots party members that pick this candidate and say, we want you to run for us in the next election. Um, I, that's a very uh, grassroots, organic, democratic thing to me. And, you know, the, the party label, I will say, has complicated things. You know, political parties are private entities. This isn't a general election nomination contests are run however a party says they should be run. Hmm. And there, there does tend to be a lot of drama um, that, you know, people who are in the bubble like to read about. But uh, at the Ontario Liberal Party right now, they've been facing allegations of like nepotism, racism, even, you know, outright racism and, uh, you know, even voter fraud. So hmm. there's a lot. I will say, you know, that, that it's not unique to them um, in the 2018 election, the conservatives we were writing about, you know, someone being disqualified for allegedly eating a hamster off of a hockey stick, but it turned out it was not a hamster. It was a poutine. It was just like someone caught in a video and they couldn't tell what they were eating off off of a hockey stick. I don't, it, it, it just gets really weird. Right. And, um, that is weird. You know, people, people want to read about that stuff. You know, there's like a bit of a salacious aspect to it. It's juicy. Um, which is, which is the fun part, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's political parties. It's, these are, you know, sometimes they're tightly controlled where mm-hmm. it's a small group of people, these things, there's a lot of, you know, backroom um, negotiating and maneuvering and some candidates, they come knocking on the door of, you know, the party and, and they realize that there's a lot involved. You need to know somebody there's, there's all of this, you know, procedural stuff that you need to do. Um, I think a lot of candidates on the ground aren't really feeling as as welcome after political parties say, hey, we want people like you. Mm. I, I think, I mean, we met because um, I was involved in politics for a while and and you had interviewed me a couple of times. And I mean, I, I think it's it's such a closed system in a way. Um, it's so closed that even the people that are in it <laughs> don't even seem to realize it's closed, um, like closed to diversity, closed to, um, you know, diversity of ideas, like forget, like, forget culture and ethnicity for a moment, right? Just, I, I find that a lot of political groups in Canada are just really narrow, narrowly focused, what do, yeah, you, what I, do you think? I, I mean, I don't know if that's just the the machine. Is it the machine or is it purposeful? I don't know. I think it's it's probably a, a combination of both. Like these are you could arguably call them institutions, right? You know, these there's a lot of people out there I talk to who say, you know, your nomination coverage. These are just stories about water being wet. This is how things are. You know, we have the power to do this stuff. You know, what's the big deal? And these folks, um, they don't really realize that, you know, younger people, um, people that, you know, your party might not have attracted, um, people that might not have even been politically involved, but for whatever reason, they they find themselves wanting to get involved and, you know, they're looking at your party potentially. Um, they don't like hearing this stuff about, you know, insidery maneuvering or the, the powers that be having all this control. And they don't realize that when, 
you you say these things like we want diverse candidates or we want to do things differently like we want to be a, a grassroots party you're right like even beyond the diversity aspect of it they uh they don't like the some people that are you know in the party that support the establishment they don't really see how that's a that's a complete turnoff by saying one thing and you know, sort of doing another thing on the ground. They definitely seem very cliquish. I've mm -hmm. definitely turned to uh, talk to candidates, you know, would be candidates who, you know, have have tried to run, you know, they've gone very far, they've submitted papers, they've, you know, they've paid, you know, thousands of dollars for their application fees. And they just feel like it's really unwelcome. Like it's, I, I have honestly heard one candidate who's no longer um, running, and they they told me that, it's very, um, you know, mean girls, you can't sit with us, that that's the vibe. And um, I, I think that, you know, people are reluctant to even talk about it because you're seen as sort of airing the family's dirty laundry. So right. it's not a very easy beat. And it's a lot of, you know, sources said, you know, and there's a lot of intrigue and, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Not a lot of people are willing to go on the record about this sort of stuff, but it is happening. And I think, you know, more and more people are just asking themselves like what's going on. If we, if we want to be attracting new people um, you know, if we want to really be a party that's, that's open um, and, and if we want to do what we're saying we're, we're doing that, I think, you know, parties really need to look at themselves because people are feeling, I, I'm getting the sense that people are feeling like they want to do something and they're more willing to speak out about it now. And, or at least um, I'm glad that there are people that are willing to do it. And I hope that, you know, they do, they do keep telling these stories. Do, do you see uh, any ways in, you know, that, that would make a party, you know, more appealing to, to a, a diverse population or and or do you see a way for a party to become more open because i also think that sometimes they just don't know how they don't they don't know be, because they don't have enough um intellectual diversity of people like different you know different stories at the table you know planning how do we go out into these communities and and share the value of democracy. Like I think sometimes it's not just it's not just about them not wanting to, it's about not knowing how because the party itself isn't diverse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it really depends like who's at the decision decision making table as well. I think you know, it, a lot of parties, they do openly say this, this is, this is their goal. They realize that that's what people want. People want open, diverse um, political parties, but you're right. I, I don't even have all the answers really on how to get there. Um, but there are some, I think it's about putting your, your money where your mouth is essentially. Um, you need to have these sort of tangible policies and I I don't know. I, I think it's getting better, but I do think that what that really requires, you know, the momentum comes from people within the party who know that, that this is, this is what matters. And it's not necessarily, you know, a diverse person at, at the decision-making table. Mm -hmm. I think 
you know, you can look anyway and, and know that you need to, and know like you need to put in tangible policies. Um, one thing that, that I did that, you know, piqued my interest recently was the Ontario NDP. So they put up, um, they're calling it a BIPOC victory fund, which you can, it's a fundraising uh, ploy. So, you know, they are saying that, you know, supporters that want to donate money to the NDP, they, they, they can donate to this victory fund and it, that money will go specifically towards resources to help candidates who are black, indigenous people of color. Mm. Um, I don't really know how that's going to play out on the ground, but you know, that's what they say. And I think that that's, that's one thing because, you know, for everybody, it, it takes money to, to run. And, you know, for a lot of, uh, you know, BIPOC candidates, it might not be so readily available, um, and I think that, you know, even even just the party saying we're going to put our money here, like we know that this is where this is one asset where we want our money to go. That's that's a, a big thing. A lot of parties talk about, uh, you know, 50 percent women on your ticket. Uh, and the criticism behind that is that, you know, women aren't always run in ridings that are, you know, winnable for right. that party. So right. I think there there is a lot, you know, of of tangible things that parties can do, but. And, and we are slowly starting to see it happen, but I don't have all the answers. And I think it's, um, it's definitely, it's definitely warrants a conversation about it. Well, you know, I have mixed feelings about, you know, um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that strategy. I, I think it sounds really good. And of course, you know, for transparency, I, I was involved, you know, as an NDP candidate. Uh, for mm-hmm. for a number of years, um, and and I have a lot of admiration for for the NDP party. However, what I would say is that if you don't support people in their communities where they're running, and if there's no strategy to help them, it doesn't matter what fund there is. You know what I mean? Like like uh, people who are running uh, in areas where they don't have a lot of support. They actually need more support from from the from the actual party. But what ends up happening often, and this is across the board in parties, is that they go where they think they're going to win. They have the best chance of winning, and the candidates that are running in areas where, you know, where they might it might be deemed that it's not winnable, they're almost like, you know, ambassadors for the party. They're champions of the message, but they are not viable candidates. I'm really uncomfortable with that. I, I think it's unfair to the candidate that's running. Oh, and to yeah, the community. You, you bring up. No, that's a great point. I mean, you know, party, like I said, these are sort of like uh, private clubs, right? They, they're they allowed to operate like that. And they've got their polling, you know, um, and history <laughs> that, you know, certain writings tend to go certain ways. And that um, I, I really don't know what the answer is on on how to fix that, but you're right that you know they shouldn't there shouldn't be this just defeatist attitude, right? And um, I think that channeling channeling resources does work. Like yes. for, uh, you know the um, we have our first green MPP, first ever green MPP ever in Ontario history at Queens Park. Now that's Mike Striner and. Uh, that's because, you know, uh, we we have per vote subsidy as well. So the Greens did end up getting a little more money um, in the last election. Mm. And, you know, they, they ended up, their strategy was to f- focus everything in Guelph where uh, Mike Schreiner currently represents. They put all their resources in there. 
they did run a full slate of candidates, you know, 124 uh, potential MVPs across the, the province, but they decided to put all of their resources to get to get Mike Schreiner elected and it ended up working. So, um, you know, parties are definitely strategic in this. And I think that that is it matters where you run these these mm-hmm. diverse candidates. Right. Um, it comes down to to winnable ridings. Um, but the candidates that are you know running for these parties that might be you know more of a challenge to win, I don't think that they should just be casualties or they shouldn't just, you know, fall by the wayside. Uh, you're right. That's, that does seem a little unfair. I, I think they should just tell, tell people the truth. Right. And just, and then, and then candidates can decide, you know, you know, whether, how they want to run, how they want to build their strategy and how they want to build their team, because there's lots of people who are really creative. They're entrepreneurs. They're doing all sorts. They, they'll figure out a way. Um, to build a strong campaign. But I have another question for you, just, you know, because I mean, I know you're not in politics. You're just, you're, you're trying to bring the truth, you know, the many truths forward. What is it like being a female journalist um, trying to cover politics? Is there, are there a lot of female um, journalists reporting on politics right now? Uh, I mean, there's, there's quite a few of us. Yeah, I would say, uh, especially at Queens Park, you know, we've got a lot of women in our gallery and a lot of us are, you know, tend to be on the younger side too. Uh, I would say, you know, compared to, I have colleagues who work in Alberta and, and BC and, uh, their galleries tend to be a bit older, you know, more male, white. Um, I do think though that, uh, it, it does impact the job, right? I think that you come again up against it all the time. And, and even in, in the more subtle ways, you're always asking, well, was I not invited to this because like I'm a woman and it's, and it's definitely sort of seems to be that way. Cause it's like all these guys hanging out. Um, the, the boys club sort of never really goes away, especially in the political sphere, also mm. in journalism um, that still exists. I will say I'm uh, you know, there are a lot of women in the Queens Park Press Gallery, but they are also white women. Um, I uh, myself, I'm really like the only regular uh, woman who's not white. I think there's maybe one other um, mm. in the gallery right now. But, you know, I, I, I that is just something that you sort of come up with uh, or come up against, I should say, every day. And um, I, I hate to even say I'm just sort of a bit used to it now, mm. but you do sort of wonder, um, did, did so-and-so get a tip um, and I didn't, you know, because of who I am or, or what I look like? I think that that's something that probably doesn't go away for, for, for people like me um, in, any, in any field. And I, I do think that uh, because, because of what politics and journalism is like, we do put a lot of weight on our forebears. So there's a lot of respect and, and uh, you know, of course, you know, the folks that came before me were, were trailblazers and um, but we do see, you know, them having um, they get to be the ones that are sort of in the spotlight. And I guess like that's sort of my struggle because I'm here uh, thinking that I'm doing, you know, just as good work that I can run with these guys, but you sort of feel like um, you don't really get the same um, the same the same prestige sometimes. Mm. 
sometimes, mm-hmm. if I could put it that way. Um, there's a lot of like, it, it is sort of an old boys club. There's always that vibe, but I will say it is certainly changing. It's certainly um, opening up and, uh, you know, you're, you sort of just have to keep banging on that door. Yes. Um, even when it doesn't feel like anyone can hear you on the other side, you just have to keep sort of doing it and, you know, just, just uh, trudging away doing it. Um, I will say that uh, I know burnout is, is a big deal, especially for, for women reporters. Um, I do kind of feel it too sometimes, but mm. um, at the end of the day, I think you just kind of have to uh, push all that aside and, and just sort of, you know, know that what you're doing matters and that your voice um, can contribute. And you do have, you know, a slice of, um, of space that you can sort of carve out for yourself. And uh, like I said, like the whole, I do like reporting on democracy and access. And that's sort of how I'm trying to like apply my, myself personally as well. Right. Like you, you just kind of have to make your seat and uh, pull it up to the table and that's just right. keep going. You, you just have to go beyond the boundaries you have to. Um, and I mean, I mean, that's what you're doing. I think, you know, you, you are somebody who is just, out there telling stories the best way you can with authenticity and and openness and really accessible I, i'm really grateful for your voice and i'm i'm really grateful for your writing um and you know of course your time today but yeah i think i think i think journalism in canada is is getting um, I think journalism in Canada has always been really good, and I think it's getting even better because of of people like yourself. So, so Sabrina, thank you for being here today. I'm I'm truly appreciative of your time, my friends. Thank you for joining me in the pod today. Thank you to my guest. Thank you to all the people around the world listening. Keep subscribing. Keep sharing. Keep sending your feedback. We are just getting started. And thank you to my amazing team led by Stacey Maynard. Extraordinary. Ciao for now. See you soon. Be well.